and welcome to the fifth episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly, and we're a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing quite well. It's been a while since we've recorded, Shag. It has been a while. It's been very nice. I've enjoyed myself. I've been to the beach. I've been to Michigan. I've been all over. I've been to Oklahoma. I've been all over the country. It's been nice not having it. I mean, uh, just doing other things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm frustrated. I can't find the Thor Digest anywhere except comic book shops. I've seen it at a comic book shop. I didn't buy it because I want to buy it out in the wild. It's not my grocery stores anywhere. Have you had any luck finding this thing? Uh, yeah, I found it. At, actually, I was out comic shopping with uh, Gene Hendricks a couple of oh, weeks ago. Yeah, I, I'm, you're right. not the only one that can go and visit people. I'm not an ogre. <laughs> and uh, so Gene and I got together, and we had lunch, and we talked about you. And then we went over Ooh. to a comic shop, and they had it there for sale, and I picked it up. Now, normally I would not be doing <laughs> that. Normally I wouldn't be getting it at a comic shop. But this was uh, you know, a store I'd never been to, and it was like a special trip. And they had actually... Uh, copies of every single Marvel Digest, and Gene bought all three. So okay. uh, we decided to pick it up there. But I've seen it at Barnes & Noble and stuff. So, I mean, okay. it is around. All right. I was going to say, if you're going to buy a Thor Digest outside of not, – not in the newsstand, I suppose – with Gene Hendricks, it's just about the best possible excuse to buy a Thor Digest anywhere, really. Yes. So, being, is, being the right. Thor fan, he's the of Hammer Strikes, of course. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, we we had a lot of fun uh, comic shopping. He found some old stuff. I found some old stuff. So uh, it was it was it was quite fun. He's great. He's and you know I've hung out with him without you too. So it just it's it's you know it's okay that we both do this. So don't get jealous. It's fine. <laughs> hey, I get to hang out with Clinton Robison. So or no, I said it wrong. He taught me. It's Robison. Clinton Robison. So just recently from the Coffee and Comics blogs or and podcast. So you know maybe <laughs> enough of this childish banter. I can't believe Rob dragged us down to this level. Anyway, uh, uh, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the Digest Cast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got? Well, since this episode of Digest Cast is about a uh, JLA uh, Digest where it it covers uh, the new members joining, I was frustrated that this book skips over Hawkgirl. It just completely sort of pretends that Hawkgirl didn't join the Justice League or something. So I thought Hawkgirl deserved a little bit of love. And so to that end, I'm picking Showcase Presents, DC Comics Presents, Trade Paperback, Volume 2, which reprints DC Comics Presents numbers 27 through 50, and DC Comics Presents Annual Number 1. And included in that run is issue number 37, which is a team-up between Superman and Hawkgirl. Just Hawkgirl. Not Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Just Hawkgirl. And it's a great great comic. I bought it off the stands. It's a really good issue, and I love that Hawkgirl got like a solo feature because I think she's a great character. The writers are Marv Wolfman and a lot of other people, artist Rich Buckler and a lot of other people. The cover artist, <laughs> it, says, it says here the cover artist is Jim Starlin, but we can see the cover, and it's the Superman and the Joker cover, which is, I believe, Ross Andrew Dick Giordano, so I don't believe it's not Jim Starlin. But uh, it's 568 black and white Woo-hoo. pages, normal price $19.99 in stock. Trades price is $11.59. That's 42% off. If you know you love Superman teen-ups and you know you do, pick this book up, again, for no other reason than they get the Hulk girl issue because it's, it's really good and uh, Shara deserves some love. Hey, tell you what, that's two great things together. You get the showcase format, which is fantastic, and DC Comics Presents. I mean, that's just a win-win all the way around. Yep. Now, was she Hawk Woman by that point or was no, she still Hawk Girl? No, still Hawk Girl. When did that change happen? 
I, I don't remember. She was still a member of the Justice League, so it was after that. Like, she was still called Hawk Girl okay. in Jail Annual Number Two. So I, I don't wow. know exactly when they changed it over. Okay. Actually, by right. who she was Hawk Woman. So that yep. was in '86. So somewhere, so like right around '84 or '85. I guess. Wow, I, th- I always thought it was earlier than that. Okay. Well, normally I try and pick a digest for this recommendation, but this time I didn't. Uh, just to pull back, well, I didn't pull back the curtain, just to tell you, you should already know, but we're covering a Justice League digest this issue. It's the special initiation issue of the digest. So I picked a trade paperback, which is almost identical to this issue. If you can't find this issue uh, the, of the digest, then you should pick up Justice League of America here by Alex. This is a 192 page trade paperback. It, uh, it collects. Uh, See Justice League of America number four, which is Green Arrow's first appearance. Justice League of America number seventy-five, which is uh, Black Canary's first—I shouldn't say appearance, but first uh, when she joined. Uh, Justice League one hundred five and one hundred six, which is when Elongated Man and Red Tornado joined, it includes issue one forty-six. Uh, who's that actually? Who's one forty-six? That's when Red Tornado rejoined and Hawkgirl joined. Ah, there we go. Okay. Also includes 161, which is when Satana joins, and 173 to 174, which is uh, Black Canary. What is that? Oh, Black. And I'm sorry, oh, not no, Black, Black, Black Lightning. Black, Black Lightning, Lightning right, turns down right. the JLA because they're a bunch of jive turkeys. That's exactly right. So, uh, normally retails for $14.99. You can get an in stock trades for 42% off, which is only $8.69. So, you can get all the issues in this digest that we're going to cover, which is awesome. And most importantly, you can get it without getting the Firestorm uh, initiation issues because apparently him joining the JLA wasn't important enough to include in the trade paperback. I'm just saying, or the digest. Really? Really? WTF, folks. Anyway, I, everyone needs more sat Satan in their life, don't you think? <laughs> The way Dick Dillinger, everybody does. Anyway, uh, for these and your other trade paperback needs, folks, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right. Well, uh, I just want to throw this in before we get rolling. Folks, probably on the next full episode, so not the one where we talk about the Thor Digest, uh, but the next full episode of this show, we are going to announce a contest. Woo! So get yourselves ready for that. It's going to require a little action by you. We'll clarify all that when we get there. But the winner is going to win a whole bunch of digests, and I just so happen to have an extra copy of this Justice League of America Digest that we're going to cover today that I'm going to throw in the stack as well. So you can win a copy of the Digest we're covering today. And Rob, do you know the story why I have an extra copy of this Digest? Uh, No, I do not. Because last time you and I recorded, at the end you announced what we're going to do next. You said we're going to do the Justice League Digest. I said, hot dog. I got right on eBay. I went ahead and I ordered it. And 30 seconds after I finished with the buy it now order, I turned around and saw it sitting on my shelf. So I bought myself an extra copy. Foolish thing. I hope you didn't pay too much for it. Uh, let's not talk about that. Okay. Anyway, right. <laughs> Rob, why don't you tell us more about this issue? Well, yeah, this is uh, Best of DC Digest Blue Ribbon Digest number 31. It came out, uh, it was cover dated December 1982. It came out on September 2nd, 1982. It cost $1.25. The editor, late great Len Wein. I remember buying this one right off the stands. I bought most of the DC Digest that I could find because they weren't that plentiful even when I was a kid. So when I did see one, I tended to pick it up. But anyone, of course, that was a Justice League was like a guaranteed purchase and especially one that was focusing on when like new members joined because i was that's like a big thing for me i love the issues where they change the team
team or somebody joined. And I, I, as a, as a kid, that stuff was important to me of like the kind of like how you mentioned when you were growing up, like you made cut lists of like yeah. what character was on what planet and what characters on it. But I was very focused on like JLA membership. When somebody joined, when somebody left, are they an official member? Are they not a member? I, I, that, that kind of stuff was really, really important to me. So I liked when DC would sort of codify it and, and sort of pick these stories all together. Now this is the second such collection. The first is a digest. JLA did a similar uh, collection in the original run of their series, Justice League of America number 67 is an all-membership reprint issue, which reprints Green Arrow, Adam, and Hawkman joining uh, those stories with a cover by Neil Adams, and it is that cover that Gil Kane is referencing for this cover. Because here we have the JLA, and they're holding like one of those, uh, I don't know, what do you call those things? Like it's, a, it's that it's a big circle with along with paper that people run through, like football teams run football through. Football games, they, right. I don't even yeah. know what you call that, but I mean, anyway, I Neil Adams well, did what, that. Didn't Robin burst through one in a... Early Batman yes, issues. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. You see him all the time. Just I've never learned the term for this thing. <laughs> but uh, but that's Neil Adams do that, and then Gil Kane is doing it here. So instead of it being the first three members to join here, you've got Black Canary, Zatanna, the original Red Tornado in his uni- in his old uniform, and Elongated Man bursting through again. No Hawk Girl, even though she joined in between Red Tornado and Zatanna. But I don't know for whatever reason, uh, DC is just like. For forgetting that Hawk Girl's a member of the team. And so we see all the other members, not all the other members, but a lot of the other members uh, surrounding them and looking all happy to presenting these stories. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really fun cover. And I said, I, I remember, literally remember grabbing this off the stands, never once thought of not getting it. Just like, oh, instant buy, there you go, even though I only had a couple of bucks to spend. Well, along those same lines, uh, the trade paperback I mentioned in the in-stock trades recommendation, the Justice League Hereby Alex trade paperback, it has a cover by Jerry Ordway. Right. It's the exact same setup again. The third version uh, of that, yeah. Yep, exactly right. That's the third version where he's got the paper ring thing that Rob and I foolishly don't know the name of and haven't bothered to Google in the whole time we've been having this conversation. <laughs> uh, it's got Red Tornado, Hawkwoman, and Zatanna all bursting through the ring, and then you can see the other members there as well. And it's even got Black Black Lightning in the background saying no. He's walking Yeah, away. he's got his back to him. He's walking away. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, you think they put Metamorpho in here because he was the first one to turn down JLA membership, that's wasn't true. he? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. And, and the reason Rob's talking about this is because Rob picked this issue. Every, yes. we, we, we swapped back and forth. Rob got to pick this one. But uh, by the way, if you want to see these covers, I'll put all three of them up on our gallery. So if you go to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, go to the shows button, find the digest cast, and you'll see there'll be a gallery post in conjunction with this episode, episode five. And we'll have these covers and we'll have some of the various pages we're going to talk about today in the issue. Yep. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Books. So, uh, yeah, this uh, said it reprints four stories, uh, the first of which, the inside cover I should mention just a little bit, just the basic table of contents, nothing terribly exciting. There is a back cover, but we'll get to that at the end. Uh, it reprints the four, four stories, the first of which is Justice League of America number 75. In Each Man, There Is a Demon, covered in November 1969. It's by Denny O'Neill, Dick Dillon, and Joe Giella, and the cover features a uh, the fishnetted legs. Hello, Ryan, of Black Canary. <laughs> uh, we're presuming it's Black Canary, and she says, "Now, do you admit I can take Wonder Woman's place?" And laying on the ground are all a bunch of the JLAers all beat up. So I like the idea that like she beat up Superman. Like, yeah, sure, okay, heck yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> Green Arrow opens the story as the narrator, telling us that he recently has been framed by a business. Uh, and and in doing so, uh, losing his last, losing his vast fortune. Meanwhile, back at the secret sanctuary, the JLA is debating whether to admit Black Canary into the team. 
Canary grows frustrated at the all-male team's patronizing attitude towards her, and suddenly lets loose with a sonic scream, a power she never possessed before. We return to Oliver Queen, who is subjecting himself to experiments with a Dr. Oil, O-Y-A-L, who allows a subject to peer into their subconscious. A malevolent green arrow springs from Molly, knocking Oil out and heading for JLAHQ. When the JLAers, who figure that exposure to Aquarius's radiation caused Canary's new power, get attacked by the evil Green Arrow, evil duplicates are created of them as well, all from the mystic residue left in each of them by Aquarius. Only Superman remains unaffected because, as he assumes, he didn't absorb any of Aquarius's radiation. The JLAers feel despondent, not believing they can defeat themselves. Superman gives them all a super pep talk by fighting a Superman robot and defeating it, <laughs> telling them it was there. It was. It was an evil inner duplicate of him, too. This inspires them, and they head off to fight their duplicates. Grinnell faces down his inner bad self by admitting that evil resides in all people, and it is the best part of them that keeps the evil side under control. This drains the dupes' evil energy. This drains the evil dupes' energy, and they return to their hosts. And that's the end of this <laughs> kind of very strange story. Very strange story. <laughs> The JLA doesn't do magic very logically sometimes. <laughs> Stuff <laughs> happens it's... because it does. Right, because the story needs it too. So lots to talk about. Like, first off, the art looks great. I love Dick Dillon's art. Um, he did, he, wait, it is Dick Dillon right here? I'm, I'm getting yep. that right. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's beautiful. I love the way Green Arrow looks, especially on the first page. He just looks so Errol Flynn. You know, he looks really cool. Um it is absolutely ridiculous them arguing about Black Canary being a member. I'm really glad she calls them on their crap because as a reader, I was getting mad at the Justice League myself being like, this is stupid. Now, her getting the sonic screen powers? What? (laughs) Completely out of nowhere. I guess they just felt like they had to ramp her up. I mean, as a writer? Right. Well, they had to make some, yeah, they had to, they wanted to have, I guess, some other version of, not other version of the character, but some change to indicate that she was no longer the same character that was part of the Justice Society. And of course, you know, it never made any sense that, you know, she was an older member. Like, I mean, you know, she's coming from the Justice Society, which means she is by far the oldest member of the Justice League at this point. All right. Luckily, uh, that discrepancy was never retconned in any way or ever addressed (laughs) ever again in any other story. Well, post-crisis handled it quite well with there being just two black canaries, I think. Right. But I understand where you're coming from. There's nothing in between there. Certainly nothing towards the end of the Bronze Age when no. they try to explain nope, that. Nope, didn't Certainly happen. Not. Nope, 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 nope. I do love on page 10, at least page 10 of the digest is page 7 of the story, the, the bottom middle panel with Green Arrow wearing that helmet. Like, he's like staring off into space and all this smoke's fuming out of it. It's just... <laughs> I love, the, you know, the Green Arrow's just talking to this guy about his problems, and the doctor's like, I have something scientific to fix that. He's like a psychiatrist who can fix him, I guess, I don't know, and, and puts the helmet on him, and all the smoke starts pouring out. It's a hilarious <laughs> panel. It just cracks me up. <laughs> you gotta love the machinery. It's not Kirby-level machinery, but it's still fun. Oh, it's just redunculous. It's crazy. So, alright, so Superman faking his own duplicate. Is this a case of him inspiring people to greatness, or is it Superman dickery, or is it both? I think it's a little bit of both. I, th- I think there are times where Superman's just like, <sighs> all right, you know, I'll do this thing because you Phoebes can't handle it yourself. You know, I think that's, <laughs> that's part of it. I think it's what it is. He's like, you guys are so pathetic that I'm just going to have to, because I know I could go fix this myself, but I'm going to have to inspire you to fix it yourself. Yeah. It's just crazy. And there are hints of Green Arrow and Black Canary's relationship here, but like especially on the last page, page twenty-three of the story and twenty-six of the digest. I mean, she's got her arm on him and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, they already it's, seem like fast friends. Yeah, 
Yeah. When, when did, did their relationship come right out of the gate here? When, Basically, when yeah. This is the beginning of it. This is okay. also, by the way, the first appearance of Green Arrow in his current uniform in Justice League. He debuted that costume in Brave and the Bold, but it had not. She had not shown up in JLA looking like that. So this is the beginning of him with that uh, that new look. So last time we saw him, he was clean shaven. Yeah. Uh, okay. I do love the original cover. Uh, I, I kind of like the original cover better than most of the covers in here. Although Batman, the way his ear, where his like bad ears are bent, they, he, he looks, looks like Wildcat. He does. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a fun one. Uh, it's it's crazy, um, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I think I enjoyed it quite a bit compared to some of what we're going to cover in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I, as a kid, I was sort of frustrated that like again because this stuff was important to me, like that they don't officially welcome her to the team. Like she's just a member at the end. They're like, okay, I guess she's a member now. I mean, for God's sakes, the JLA uh-huh. needed a female member. Wonder Woman had left as in number sixty nine. So there was six whole issues where the whole the Secret Sanctuary probably smelled like a locker room. You know, <laughs> nobody taking care of it at all or would it just caring about that stuff Wait, and all. Are so. you saying that a woman's job is to clean the sanctuary? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Wow. Yes. Take this clip and run it on Fox News or whatever you want to do. Yes. That's exactly, no, it's it's just, yo, come on. This is one big sausage party, guys. Come on. Absolutely. Add some female members of the team here. Um, the, the one other little piece of trivia that I will mention, and of course, it it's, has nothing to do with this digest because it's not reprinted here, but in the original comic, the letters page has three letters in it. One letter is by Martin Pascal, and Ooh. another letter is by Alan Brennert. So, oh my gosh. So out of three letters, two of them would later become comic book writers. That's a pretty good ratio for the editors to pick. They must have got printed a lot because we covered another JLA issue uh, for some show, and they had letters in there too. Yeah, they did. Pa- pa- Pasco and Brennard got, got printed a lot. By the way, one last thing. Uh, page 21 of the Digest, page 18 of the story, folks, where Black Canary is choking out her duplicate. <laughs> Someone needs to take that panel and uh, – Put you know, take some out of context frame, uh, quotes, please. So I'd love to see those. Okay. Sounds like a job for Ryan uh, Dalen. <laughs> Next story is uh, Justice League of America. It's Spectre in the Shadow. It's 23 pages. It is the introduction of Elongated Man to the team. Writer is Len Wein. Penciler is Dick Dillon. And Dick Giordano is the anchor. It is reprinted from Justice League of America, number 105, from 1973. I was one years old. So the story opens with Ralph Didney, the elongated man, and his wife, Sue, taking in some culture at an art museum. Suddenly, a gaggle of weird, doe-like creatures spring up and start stealing the paintings. The elongated man and Sue, bless her heart, try to stop them, but they're overpowered. Ralph then decides to call in help with his JLA signal device. But what's this? Elongated man's a member of the Justice League? Oh, no, he's not. At least not yet. Confused readers? Listen on. The scene takes us back in time then uh, by one week, and we get to see Green Lantern inviting Ralph and Sue – notice they invite Sue as well – to the JLA satellite where they tell him they are inviting him to join. And of course he says yes. We then cut back to the present where E-Man – seriously, they call him E-Man a lot in this story, not to be confused with the Joe Staten character. Anyway, uh, E-Man uh, – where E-Man's explaining what they, he saw. The JLA splits up into teams, of course, after they receive several distress signals involving the same doughy guys. The Flash, the Adam, and, jo- and by the way, when I say doughy guys, I don't mean like comic book fans. I mean like they actually look like play- walking Play-Doh. All right. So the Flash, the Adam, and Green Arrow head to a coal mine to battle these doughy guys, but our heroes very nearly die from an accidental coal gas leak. Thankfully, a mysterious wind blows the gas away, and our heroes are left wondering, why were the doughy guys trying to steal the coal? And the reader's left wondering, who is this mysterious stranger watching the JLA from the inky shadows? 
Then Superman and Black Canary uh, have their segment where they're a little less successful as they try to stop the baddies from stealing tires. Yeah, like car tires. They stop the theft, but the doughy guys escape. And once again, a mysterious wind helps to save a JL air. Uh, next one, Green Lantern gets stuck with a new guy, Ralph Dibney, and Ralph plunges into the ocean while trying to stop one of the bad guys. The Lantern tries to rescue Rat Ralph, but very nearly drowns as he's stuck in this yellow seaweed. Green Lantern is saved, though, by a mysterious underwater whirlpool. Once Green Lantern is free, he sadly discovers that Ralph is gone, and Ralph is absolutely despondent. And he says, who would have thought the elongated man's first case with the Justice League would also be his last? And hey, there's that mysterious guy again. The JLA reconvenes at the satellite, depressed over Ralph's seeming demise. The distress signal goes off again. They find the doughy guys guarding a giant beehive kind of structure. And as they fight, one of the doughy guys saves Black Canary, revealing himself to actually be the elongated man in disguise. So after the JLA defeats them, Ralph explains that he got the idea to go undercover on the spot and learn that the beehive is poised to explode. The JLA can't break their way in, but just as the place is about to blow, another giant wind picks up and sends it into space where it explodes harmlessly, helping the JLA again. What's going on? Turns out that the last-minute save is from the mysterious stranger who turns out to be... Dun-dun-dun! The Red Tornado! First off, he never saves anyone. Second of all, isn't he dead at this point? So, that is the end of Justice League of America, number 105. So, left with a cliffhanger, and really, uh, Ralph's not even the hero of his own story. What you think? I really like this one. I, I, I have my problems with elongated men being a member at all, but that's a separate issue. Uh, but this story, I think, is great. I love, again, they, it has the splash page of him getting officially enrolled into the team, yep. which was a favorite thing. I love that. You know, again, they made it official. I like all that. I like the flashback nature of it. I think that's really cool. I like that it's a setup for a two-parter because clearly Ween had this plan of induct, inducting uh, two members back to back. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, no, I re- and it's, the artwork is great. I mean, Dylan and Giordano, good lord, that's great. Um, so no, I really I think it's terrific. I think it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it too. As much as I was mocking and making fun of it, I really did enjoy it. Now, to be fair, by the way, I do owe Rob a thank you. Uh, I took probably about uh, 85 to 90 percent of that recap from his website, the JLA Satellite Blog, where I just lifted it, and then anything that was funny was probably for me. The rest of it was pretty much him. Um, I enjoyed the artwork as well. It's weird now that I can see these digests back to back. You know, I love Dick Giordano. You know, I think he draws like the best everything, but. I kind of like the Dick Dillon, Joe Giella art better in the Black and Area issue, oddly enough. I I think the lines are a little cleaner. The character's a little more defined. But anyway, um, it was a fun issue. Personally, I think Elongated Man absolutely belongs in the JLA. So I was thrilled to have him in there. I enjoyed it. I kind of wish Red Tornado hadn't played such a big role. I wish Elongated Man had. I mean, he did get to be the hero to some extent where he was undercover. But he uh, he didn't really do it. He didn't really save the day. You know, Red Tornado continually saved the day. So that was a little disappointing because I love Ralph, and I think Ralph is absolutely deserving of being in the JLA table. Uh, in fact, we were just discussing this in the comments threads of the Plasticast, uh, which was, where I was saying to me, Elongated Man really belongs in the JLA. He, because when I started reading, I was reading in the you know the Justice League Detroit era and the um, Satellite era. Those are my two favorite eras growing up, and Elongated Man was already part of the JLA. So to me, he is JLA material, not Plastic Man. And I know you probably feel the other way around, but I, I love Ralph on the team, so I was very happy to see this. So it was fun. I like Ralph on the team because I like the character. Like I like him. I like that he comes with Sue. I like his personality. Yes. But I, 
I do feel as though, like, kind of the jail, and this is weird because, I mean, you know, the Elongated Man was always a member when I was growing up. This comic was published. I was, I was still, I was around when this comic was published, but I wasn't. Almost like I was reading it at the time. But I always feel like the JLA was always supposed to be the the real all stars of the of the DC universe. All people who had their own titles, and Elongated Man never had his own title. Black Canary never had her own title. So you know, I always felt like these are slightly lesser lights, but that, that's okay in the, in the long run. It's fine. I mean, I would have preferred Plastic Man because I just think Plastic Man is, a, you know, a bigger deal. But but it's 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 fine. It's fine. I like Ralph Dibney a lot, and they did they did a lot with him. Len Wein, and then later Jerry Conway did a lot with the character, so I thought it was it was good. I love the cover. I am such a fan. Uh, I mentioned you before in previous digests. I'm a sucker for like DC heroes or heroes like partying together covers. Yeah, I love JLA members where it's like they're they're mingling, leaving in a mystery, and you see all the different members reacting differently. And like there's Batman, like of all people, like Batman, Chuck, <laughs> and Flash is like fantastic, you made it. And then Green Arrow's like, no way, like he's, he's like such a dick. I love all that stuff because it's like you know after this moment's over, there's got to be some reckoning going on here. Hey, there's somebody right. who don't seem too terribly happy that I'm. I I'm glad you like the cover. That's great. Okay. <laughs> I, you're really goofy, but I enjoy it. It is really goofy. Now I, I'm glad, but you brought up something about Sue. I completely forgot to mention. I was so thrilled that Sue got to be part of. This. I mean, they didn't treat Sue as a member of the team, but they treated Sue with equal respect. It was Ralph and Sue as a team who they talked to, and and Sue has always been one of my favorite characters in the DC universe, and. Yep. I, I'm glad that she's around and nothing bad ever happened to her. Um, yeah, that's true. And so I just it, it was very excited to see Sue doing stuff with Ralph in this issue. That made me very, very happy. So there was something else I want. Oh, okay. So wait a minute. You said that JLA is supposed to be all stars and stuff. Okay, people with their own titles. All right, strike Green Lantern from. The, I'm sorry, Green Arrow from the team there, buddy, because he didn't have that's his true. own series until what the 80s. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I yeah, that, I'll, I'll give you that. Black Canary, striker from the team. Elongated yeah. Man, strike him from the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, sorry, bro. I guess because Green Triumph, Arrow lasted through Triumph, the, from the team. with everybody else, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm probably... you, talk, you, you talked over my joke. I'm so, way to go. Triumph, strike him from the team. Come on, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> it's good that you pointed it out. A good partner. Yep. <laughs> Let's just do the next story. Okay. <laughs> well, we have the very next story, which is Justice League of America, number 106. Uh, Wolf in the Fold. By Len Wein, Dick Dillon, and Dick Giordano. Again, another great cover. This time it's by Nick Cardi. And it's all the jail layers laying around looking presumably dead. Except for Aquaman. Aquaman is, is not there. Um, but got, you've got Red Tornado saying, The day I joined the JLA, I killed them all. Which is terrific. Just a I like this cover better. Beautiful beautiful cover. Nick Cardi, man. The guy who knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah, did. Anyway, so this picks up right at the end of uh, number 105. The JLA is grilling Red Tornado, asking him how he survived his suicide mission at the end of JLA number 102. Reddy doesn't remember much, except that he was not destroyed by the explosion as everyone thought. He landed somewhere in the mountains where he, where he was found by a blind hermetic sculptor who nursed Reddy back to health, sort of, and even made him a human-looking face. As Reddy prepared to leave, he found that he was on Earth-1, not his homeworld of Earth-2. He tried to go home, but he found that he no longer had the ability to pierce the dimensional barrier, stranding him on Earth-1. <laughs> he wanted to ask the JLA for help, but he decided to do it in secret because he felt the JLA didn't care for him. They feel bad about this, and Superman suggests membership into the JLA. Green Arrow objects, but the rest of them quickly approve Superman's motion. Red Tornado is the newest member. We then learn that the Red Tornado is, as the title suggests, a wolf in the fold. 
T.O. Morrow, consulting his super smart master computer with over 30K of RAM, is told that in 28, <laughs> is told that in 28 days the cosmic balance will shift and either he or the JLA will cease to exist. And the best way to defeat the JLA is to destroy them from within via a new member. Morrow sends some of his henchmen to draw Tornado out, hopefully making him activate his signal device, which is implanted with a deadly nerve gas, destroying the JLA. The League gets involved without that happening, but they go suspicious that both Reddy and Mara resurface at the same time. Reddy is offended at this, and it's here where we have the classic sequence of Red Tornado trying to fit into regular society, using his newfound face trying to get a job. It's where he meets social worker Kathy Sutton, and in the series of six panels she asks him, Name? Uh, Smith. John Smith. Address? General Delivery. Uh-huh. Age? At the moment, I feel like the oldest man alive. Please, just answer the questions. Previous employment? Freelance law officer. Freelance? The reason for your application? Survival. You say, hey, are you putting me on, Mr. Smith? Reddy, now known as John Smith, falls in love with the beautiful, kind-hearted Kathy. Only a few weeks later, Morrow attacks again, again bringing the Justice League and uh, getting the Justice League involved. Morrow is delighted when he sees the elongated man press Reddy's signal device after Morrow's henchmen have stolen the other members' uh, signal devices and watches the JLA writhe in pain seemingly to death. But he's then a little surprised when the JLA, alive and well, appear at his doorstep. Turns out Morrow was watching a hologram provided by Green Lantern while they figured out what exactly was Morrow's plan. They knock him out, take him to jail. Unfortunately, as they are doing this, Morrow's 28 days are up and he vanishes into nothingness. The JLA explains and apologizes to Reddy, saying they used him to see what Mars' master plan was. He accepts their apology and heads back down to Earth to see if an android is vulnerable to love. And that's the end of this issue. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this one was a, was a kook. It really was. Uh, by the way, I apologize for all the noise. I thought I had my uh, microphone on mute, but I was unwrapping my new Nort action figure, who's Justice League related, so I felt like it was fair to mention it. But uh, So the whole Kathy Sutton thing, in a matter of like a couple of panels that go from him being this completely, I don't know, obstinate, almost, you know, welfare person to suddenly being the love of her life. What? <laughs> That is crazy. She's got some serious uh, self-confidence issues or, or loneliness issues going on there. I don't know what's going on, but that's not right. That's just not logical. That just doesn't happen. Women like her are a great crutch for male writers because it's like they they, they bring the, the, the hero in who is a complete kook, and yet this very sensible, level-headed woman falls in love with her. Whether it's like, you know, it's kind of like a Jillian Taylor thing. You know, you've got these two weird guys looking for whales, and she's like, oh, sure, I'll go out to dinner with one of you guys. And you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> you know, Kathy Sutton, like, like really falls for for Red Tornado very very quickly, and even when she learns he's a he's an android, she's kind of like yeah okay eh, you know what are you gonna do? But I love the way it's paced. I love the way Dick Dillon drew with this series of panels. I think that's a great moment. Was she a Manhunter in Millennium? Because that would have made a lot more sense. I hope not. I hope so. At least it would make this story make sense. He looks so weird in this story, like this transitional phase from the way he looked in JSA, where he looked very robotic, to where he eventually gets with the you know the red and yellow costume that uh, somebody makes for him. I can't remember who Black makes for him. Black Canary makes for him. It's only four issues later. JLA one ten he gets it, so he didn't he didn't last long in this very dull outfit. This is such a weird era. Like his face just looks so messed up. <laughs> it's very dis- discomforting. Uh, now this also leads into we covered a Tio Morrow story where Aquaman played a big role, and I want to say Perez Drew yep, a couple of years ago. Yeah, and that this obviously leads into it because here he disappears 
you know, and it led into all that because I remember the, there was so much backstory. Yeah, that's about right. Tio it's a Morrow flashback that to thing. this moment. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Uh, it's a fun story. It, 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 there is some super dickery going on again. Superman realizes the signal device is in ready, deactivates it, and then they just use ready to draw out Tio Morrow, which is a little dickery from actually all of them, I guess. Yeah. yeah so what they, do you think of the art in this one? Because it's the same art team as last time. I think it's great. I, I think Dylan and Giordano were a killer team. I, I the, the moment where um, Kathy Sutton is about to be smashed into the ground and Red Daniel's like, no! It's like you, that, to me, that has a real palpable sense of urgency where he, he, he's already fallen in love with this woman and he's terrified that she's going to die in front of him because of his actions. I think that's a great, I think that's a really great he, moment. He's just kind of laying down. Well, but he's – all right, he's reacting. He's... <laughs> Go forward a couple of pages and I will definitely agree with you. Page 73 of the Digest, page 22 of the comic. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine panels on this page where Tio Morrow pulls the gun, ready – and, 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 uh, and elongated men work together to knock him out. The clock strikes and he slowly fades away. I think that's a great-looking page. I mean just yeah. really well done. There's some great storytelling going on there. Really shows their mastery of the format. I do love on the page before that too when they pull the super dickery and Tio Morrow opens the door and the Just League's there. Superman is pulling like a Peter Parker kind of style, leaning up against the wall, just very calmly like, hey, you're busted, schmuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very fun. Uh, so I enjoyed it. It was fun. I, I like this issue. I, I like the art in this issue a little bit stronger than uh, the issue before I felt like. So it was fun. I enjoyed this one. Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder. It's it's interesting that uh, Ween, you know, purposely brought in two new members back to back. I wonder if like a elongated man felt a little cheated. You know, he didn't really get to be the new guy for that long. He's like, you know, hey, I'm the newest. Oh, all right. I guess we're heading somebody else. You mean really elongated cool. man, not oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, elongated man. Like he, you know, yeah. he had he had the shortest tenure as a new member of anybody in history. On one issue. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And again, he didn't even get to save the day in his own initiation. Ugh. No. So poor Ralph, not treated properly. And should we? I mean, I guess everyone here knows at this point that the only reason Ralph uh, Elongated Man was it was Elongated Man was created or Elongated Man was added to the JLA was because they didn't know they had the rights to Plastic Man. I didn't. I've never heard that story. I didn't know that. What? No, I've never heard that. That that Elongated Man was created what? for that reason. Well, they. All right, Max Romero. I hope you're listening. You can tell me how what what facts I've got wrong here. But as I've heard the story, I could have sworn you're the one who told me this. Was uh, they they wanted to use Plastic Man or a Plastic Man like character? DC didn't even realize they owned a Plastic Man at that point. And either I guess at that point they probably created the Elongated Man because yeah, because Elongated Man predated Plastic Man's own ongoing series at DC. I think. Either way, Elongated Man was basically created and was around because they didn't realize they owned the rights to Plastic Man. Hmm. I've never heard that. I really have never heard that story. I have no memory yeah. of that. So, Okay. So, anyway. Uh, so, all right. Fun, fun stuff. All right. Moving on to our last story here, which is Justice League of America, the reverse spe- – and I really did just buy and get a Nord figure. I'm very excited about it. He's, he's very cool. So it's done in the uh, Kevin McGuire. It's Justice League Stop related. Stop plugging so I can... your other show for Pete's what, sake. What other show are you talking about? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'm going to unwrap this new Bob Dylan box set that just came out, so I'm not sweating it either. You should. I just felt bad as I made all that noise. I thought it was on mute. It is a cool figure. All right. Justice League of America, the reverse spells of Zatanna's magic sigma, sigam, which is magic backwards, folks. It's 22 pages. It is the introduction of Zatanna, obviously. Writer Jerry Conway, art by Dick Dillon, ink by Frank McLaughlin. Uh, letters Ben Oda and Adrian Roy's colors reprinted from Justice League of America, number 161, in 1978. 
The JLA has a meeting uh, where they decide to add Zatanna to the team. However, no one thought to ask Zatanna if she was interested. So she arrives wearing a new costume to tell the Astonished Heroes she doesn't want to join. They ask Z, that's her nickname, Z, if something's wrong. But she says no. She doesn't want anyone's help or interference, especially not Green Lantern's. Hmm. Is this foreshadowing anyone? And for the record, her anger at Green Lantern has nothing to do with the time that Hal got all handsy with her after they defeated the champions of Angor in Justice League of America number 87. But you'd think it would have something to do with that because it was a pretty bad panel. Anyway, uh, the team is stunned and they, because Zatanna refused to join the team. They break up and they go home. Later, the Atom, who's been left alone on monitor duty, thinks something is fishy, especially concerning the close relationship Zatanna has had with the Justice League over the years. Just as the Atom calls Batman to ask him for help, Green Lantern materializes in the satellite and zaps the Atom unconscious. Of course, this is not the real Green Lantern. This is a faux Green Lantern. So he does some research to find out more about his own power ring, but is frustrated to find out that he can't locate the power battery to charge it. He mentions something about casting spells and needing to neutralize the rest of the JLA, quote, just like I did my old foe Zatanna. Whoa, what's going on? Intrigue. Meanwhile, we find Zatanna fighting a horde of demons in an alternate dimension. She's knocked out by one of them and then steps uh, on the steps of a castle. We get to peer into the castle where we find <gasps> Green Lantern. He's stiff as a statue, and he's covered in cobwebs. What is going on? Batman uh, then does some of his own investigating. He talks to Zatanna's father, Zatara, and figures out that Zatanna's odd behavior was a ruse, and she was leaving some sort of ridiculously vague clues for the JLAers to figure out. The Atom wakes up, tells the JLA what's happened, and they follow the fake Green Lantern's flight path, uh, flight path to the mysterious city of Angkor Wat. Easy to, for you to say. Uh, once there, Red Tornado is zapped by the evil Green Lantern, proving Reddy's uselessness. Green Arrow voices his own frustration over Red Tornado, uh, and he's basically acting as the mouthpiece of any sane reader. Well, Black Canary tries to be all pop psychologist about it and defends Red Tornado. Uh, and then the evil Green Lantern blasts the other leaguers. Zatanna is helped out by a, a cavalry of soldiers from different eras that she calls up with a spell. Once her gag is removed, she casts a spell freeing the real lantern. When we see that the evil Green Lantern is really the warlock of Yiz, who apparently cast a slow-burning spell that had him switching bodies with the lantern. He then put a spell on Zatanna, preventing her from directly warning anyone of Yiz's plan or even to use her backwards powers. Thankfully, the warlock of Yiz didn't realize Zatanna had freed the, Green Lan the real Green Lantern, and they easily knocked him... Uh, Knocked him the uh, sorry. They easily knock out the foe with a big green fist. In the epilogue, the case is solved, and the JLA officially asks Satana if she wants to join the team. She says yes, and we get the old hereby Alex banner. There we go. So, uh, what did you think of this one? Uh, okay, uh, the, J the JLA <laughs> magic stories always make me a little like, all right, what's going on? Because it's just stuff just happens because it does. My favorite moment actually is the cover because first of all again it has one of those covers i like where all the members are reacting differently i think that's cool you know green arrow's like hey what about this and adam's what about this i like that it hints uh to the story inside because you've got green lantern going let her go who needs her i think that's i i like that that's a hint of what's to come so i think that's a nice little touch okay. um but yeah it's uh you know it's a it's 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 a little bit convoluted and a little much i'd say about the cover i mean she's they drew her incredibly sexy curvy shapely Rich you buckler. know uh, like yeah heaving, heaving breasts but then if you look at her face she she looks like a female fury kind of like not happy pleasantly drawn face she's like <laughs> so uh it's a little little odd there other than that it is a great cover it's dynamic 
there's something happening. There's action. She's blasting the the bowl of votes. She's angry. It's really really well done. I do like the cover as well. So I texted Rob. First of all, the, the first page two of Green Arrow taking all the votes is really well rendered, really well done. So I texted Rob uh, after I read this and said, is it just me or does that story not make a lick of sense? <laughs> I honestly couldn't follow the story until I read Rob's recap on his website and went, oh, that's what happened. <sighs> It's a tough one for me. I know I sound all down on this. In fact, I think as I'm reading this, I kind of figure out that I guess I don't like JLA Silver Age stories. <laughs> and it's not till the Bronze Age that I really start liking them. So uh, this one's not my favorite. I like the Elongated Man one and the Red Tornado one much more. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the magic stories. I like Zatanna as a character, but just – and the Warlock of Yiz, like just by right. his name, I just like, okay, all right. I like, although I like the reveal of Green Lantern, I think that's a nice touch. You know, uh, I, I felt thought that was that was cool. I like that it's a silent page where we discover Green Lantern's, you know, cobwebbed body. I thought that was cool. Batman goes to visit Zatara. That's a nice little touch. So there's little bits of it here and there. I'm happy that Aquaman is actually included because you know, otherwise you wouldn't even know he's a member from this digest because he's just not anywhere <laughs> in any true. of these stories. Um, but uh, and I'm and I'm happy that Zatanna joined the team. I think she's a, a a fitting member. She should have joined earlier. She should have joined in the '60s after that whole yes. multiple storyline that Ryan covered over in Power of Fishnets. But I like the last panel where we have all the all the members standing there, and you've got the scroll. I think that's 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 good stuff. So did the story with Zatanna, uh, the search for the father stuff in the '60s that Ryan covered, was that before or after Black Canary joined the team? Before. Yes. So really, Tana could have been the, the next female member after Wonder Woman. Yeah, I don't know why she was not. It seems yeah, like, that would have been, it seemed well, like they her, were setting it up for that. Her stories are crazy, that's why. Yeah. So uh, so with, overall, it's a fun digest. The thing that probably bothers me the most, though, is that this is published in 1982, right? December of 1982. And it's all about Justice League members joining. There was a hit book on the stands. A huge monster hit book on the stands in 1982. Featuring a JLI member. Yeah, it wasn't Red Tornado's book. It wasn't Elongated Man's books. It wasn't Black Canary's book, and it wasn't Satana's book. Which, by the way, none of them had a book by this point. But Firestorm sure did. Could they have not found a way to include those two Firestorm issues in here? I mean, come on. I have to assume that's the problem: is that it was two parts. The rest of these stories are only one. <sighs> I guess that's why. I mean, real? No, I agree with you. This Firestorm, I, the. In terms of trying to keep it up to date, it would have made more sense for them to do Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Zatanna, and Firestorm to make yes. it make it the, if they wanted to skip over Hawkgirl because that story is extra long. Which, or maybe you know they could have even done it the other way and maybe done like three stories on the Hawkgirl stories, Zatanna, and Firestorm, or something. But but yeah, I agree. Firestorm was the newest member. He was by far the most popular character at the time, so it would have it, thematically made more sense to do Firestorm. Very disappointing. So oh well. I will have to learn to cope. So uh, there is an ad in the back. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, I also do mention they they have a little they have a reprint of the cover of JLA number forty two, which is the metamorph issue, and they, have, they somebody put a little blurb over this says, and the one that got away, <laughs> and it's that's the issue where where Metamorpho tells the JLA to go pound sand. So I thought that was a nice little detail. And then the inside cover is an ad for Justice League of America number 209, the final chapter of the JLA-JSA All-Star Squadron crossover, and it is done in the style of the old 60s DC ads, which I think is a really nice touch. It says, just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time, Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Firestorm, Green Arrow, he gets his name put in there, together, So, it's, and if you, if you look, it is the same ad that they ran for Justice League of America number one. 
but with just different covers and different names. So I think that's a really nice touch that they oh, did that. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. Yes, I think that's. I think that they took out Aquaman's name and Martian Manhunter's name. Thank you very much, and replaced it with Firestorm and Green Arrow. Um, but I think that's a that's really nice. And then the the back cover is by Gil Kane again, and it shows you the hands of the four members signing their names to the JLA scrolls as like sort of officially joining the team, which I think, again I think is a really nice, very warm image. Very cool. I love the back cover. Yeah, lots of fun. I, I was trying to. I was kind of a little distracted. I was trying to. Re- I thought could have sworn somewhere in the Zatanna story, uh, when she said no, someone said what? Nobody turns down the Justice League. I thought somebody said that in here. Um, maybe I imagined it because I kept thinking, wait a minute, Metamorpho totally said no. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, no, no, no. All right. Anyway, uh, lots of fun. And so, um, you didn't, no mention of uh, Black Lightning turning him down too, because it does say, you know, like you said, the one that got away, but they don't mention Black Canary, Black Widow. Black, Black Lightning. Lightning. Too many, yeah. t- too many people named after. Yeah, that. They only right, had well. so much space. So, if you had to rate the digest compared to some of the other ones we've covered, this was your pick. How do you feel about it? I still really like it. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of them collecting these stories all, all together. So, uh, my original copy, somebody must have bumped the printer because uh, my copy, uh, some of the pages are printed out of order. The, uh, the, the, I forget, I don't have it, I don't have the actual copy in front of me, but it's like the final pages of the Black Canary story are swapped with the final pages of the Zatanna story. So You're not the only one. Someone else wrote into me when I, I posted the picture of me reading this at the beach. Uh, someone else posted, oh, is your copy with the pages out of order as well? Ah, so there you're you go. not the only right. one. Yep. Yep. So maybe someone else got the same print run you did there, somebody, buddy. Somebody spilled some coffee on the printer and they're just like, ah, it's all right, let it go. <laughs> It's a kid's funny book. Who yeah, cares? Huh. <laughs> what do they want for a dollar twenty-five? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, I think uh, we're probably going to take a quick podcast promo break here, and then uh, when we come back, we're going to do your feedback from the last couple episodes of the Digest Cast. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered Red Kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98 with the 300s. Lori the Morris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. 
You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robison, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And we're back, folks, and we are here with your listener feedback from the Digest cast. Remember, folks, there are two main places, if you want your feedback right on the show, that you can get that done. The first is an iTunes review, which, by the way, we will love you for, and Rob will even mail you a kiss if you do that. And the other is on our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. Go up to the shows, find the Digest cast episode, and leave your comments there. Stuff posted on social media, well, we love to see it, and it's super helpful to raise the profile of the show. Right now, though, the feedback we're going to actually read on the show is going to be from those two sources. So, Rob, you want to start us off? Right. The iTunes review is from someone named Master Villain. It says, <laughs> like regular comics that you're holding farther away. <laughs> anyone anyone uh, who remembers riding to the 7-Eleven on their bike to go get their comics in the 70s and 80s should subscribe to this podcast and the whole Fire and Water Network while they're at it. These little digests packed quite a punch. A hundred pages of comics for a buck. That was an irresistible deal, and I gobbled them up every month for many years, no matter which characters were featured. There weren't a lot of reprints around back then, so this was pretty much the only game in town for reading older comics if you didn't have access to a comic shop. As with his Treasuries podcast, Rob Kelly understands it's not just the content of the stories that we love, but also the physical, tangible form that we first saw them in. The magic of these little digests is that they contain so much nostalgic joy within their small pages. Another home run for the Fire and Water Network. Master Villain, mwah! Yeah. <laughs> he just put that in an envelope. Uh, no mention to me, Master Villain. Thanks for that. But uh, after my uh, less than excited performance this episode, I could maybe see why he might not be okay. happy. So. Well, it's not my fault. It's all in the material. Anyway. All right. Uh, next comment. Uh, this is actually an email received from Andrew Kolvek. So I guess I lied. I guess we'll read your emails too. So Andrew uh, wrote in. He said, hey, guys, I'm a longtime listener of all the podcasts, and I'm really loving the Digest cast. I've been able to collect quite a few DC's Digest over the years and always on the lookout for more. I noticed something a while back and wanted to pass it along to the podcast. While watching one of the episodes of the animated Vixen series on the CW Seed Online, I noticed a logo for the Warner Brothers Digital Division that made me think someone might be a DC Digest fan. The division is called Blue Ribbon Content, with a logo somewhat similar to that of the DC Blue Ribbon Digest. The name makes sense for short-form shows that they post on their websites. It could be a coincidence, but it's a pretty cool nonetheless. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. It's quite I mean, they got to love the material, right, to work for this company probably, so wouldn't be surprised if they delved back into there. Very cool. Thank mm-hmm. you, Andrew. All right, these next comments come from episode four, which is where we covered the Supergirl Digest, which was a lot of fun with our friend Dr. Ange. First comment comes from Gord Tolton, who, run, who runs Ranger Gord's Roundup, which is a history blog. Gord says, not to get all proprietary, but this is my Supergirl, especially the one in the era of the 1970s adventure comics and the adult Linda Danvers of the Superman family. She truly did die in the crisis, and in spite of many of the reboots in the TV series, which I do love, we have never gotten back this era of the Maid of Might. Yeah, that's true, Gordon. Very true. 
And we heard from Sean, who goes by Dead Robin from the Pulp to Pixels podcast, including the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, which I love. Uh, Sean says, great show. One of my favorite elements of this online comic community is encountering people with a real love for a character that I've never taken to. I've always wanted to like Supergirl, but my defining moment and memory for her is still Crisis number 7, which tells me she hasn't made a lasting impression. However, listening to Dr. Ange talk about her history and her love for the character totally sparked new interest in her. Uh, additionally, his, his affection for a secondary character makes me less self-conscious about my love for Mockingbird. I guess we all have our offbeat characters that we follow. You know, Sean, I'm not really feeling it. I uh, love for a weird second-tier offbeat character. I, I don't know that I can relate. Rob, do you? <laughs> my guy's a movie star. He ain't no second-tier character. So maybe we should discuss that on our Firestorm and Aquaman podcast sometime. If we ever That's do another one of those. <laughs> we did one the other day. Shut up. Read the next letter. <laughs> Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. He says, brilliant show. You three gel nicely with Ange, especially good in the role of visiting expert. Yes, Ange, Ange is a great podcaster. It's it's too bad that he's wasting his time with medicine and not spending right. more time doing podcasting. Saving lives? Pfft. We need to talk about Whatever. comics, Ange. Come on. Martin continues, I'm with Gord. This is my Supergirl, too. The perky, loyal, never-say-die doll who changed costumes at the moment's notice and boys with less than that. <laughs> and then there's her lifestyle. Boy, did she change cities a lot. Mind, she almost always found her way back to college life some uh, of some sort. Was she afraid of growing up? The writers were always de-aging her with help there, as Angie said. Or simply was she destined for academia? The only time she really gelled for me outside of college was when she was in Adventure Comics in San Francisco. The super fun... Nastalia, which is like Lex's sister or whatever, cousin, whatever it was, uh, she helped. Look at her and look at Lena Luthor off the telly box, and surely there's a visual influence there. Makes a fair point. Lena does sort of resemble that uh, – wasn't her nickname Nasty or something like that? Nasty Luthor? Yeah, something like Nastia or something. Yeah. (laughs) That's hysterical. Uh, Up next we hear from our buddy Suntaran. He says, it seems to me that – oh, this was was a reference to the feedback where we were talking about the – Strange baseball game, issue. Yeah. Yep, with the baseball game. He says, it seems to me that Plastic Man's act was actually just basic obstruction. Nothing as tricky as a hidden ball rule. His foot is clearly in front of the first base, so he's blocking the way to the base. He doesn't have the ball, nor does he need to be there to receive a throw to himself. Uh, and he has a quote here. Obstruction is the act of a fielder uh, of a fielder who is not in possession of the ball and not in the act of fielding the ball impedes the progress of any runner. Wow, look at that. I learned something today about sports. This is not the place I expected to learn it. <laughs> it's ironic. As we're recording this, the World Series is happening, too. The That's game true. The World Series. That's your Game 7 tonight. Game yeah. 7, yeah. Uh, we got a uh, letter from Chris Franklin, of course, from our network, who does Superman's podcast, Superman Movie Man with me. Uh, he just finished the House of Frankenstein stuff. He says, great show, fellas. I remember my mom bought this digest home from me from the drugstore located in the strip mall where she worked. I read Supergirl and Superman Family, but a book on her own? I was dubious. But I actually really dug it because I've always been such a nut for comics history and the evolution of characters that the theme of the book really got me. And yes, the artwork from the 70 stories was very nice, and I did appreciate <laughs> it in ways I didn't quite understand at the time. And of course, Ange is right. Linda Cara was often drawn in a state of undress in the Superman Family issues. I think her and Black Canary must have been trying to outdo one another in the lingerie department back then. Rob, you are totally right about Supergirl's slippers being the bane of every Mego fan's existence. I gave up looking for a set and just went with a repro set of Wonder Woman's boots. Done and done, and totally comic <laughs> accurate as well. And Supergirl's hot pants suit is still my favorite. Very unique look. As always, Ange was a great guest, and I totally get why he took to Supergirl. 
Very cool. Awesome. Heard from our buddy Brian Linton. He says, I've always, uh, I also want to add my endorsement for the Supergirl Cosmic Adventures in the eighth grade. Like Shag, I picked this up for my daughter and found myself enjoying it as much as she did. Oh, such a good book. Such a good book. Uh, we got a message from Davies Gutierrez, executive producer of Poddell, and he says, Wonderful show, fellas. Always appreciate the house calls from Dr. Ange. Thank you, David. Yeah, that's nice. I think that's the first time David's ever left a comment without taking a shot at you or me. Nice. He's mellowing in his age. <laughs> I do need to thank him, though, because I guess since, I don't know, I, I thanked him on the air, but I mean, I haven't mentioned on other shows. He was instrumental in getting me, Joan Osborne, to come on the Pod Dylan show, so he deserves all the credit in the world. He's really actually been a very good executive producer of that show. <laughs> his ego doesn't need this. I know, this. I know. I credit or credits. That's, that's the last time I'm going to mention him. Uh, we uh, got a message from Chuck Coletta, another uh, great pal of the network. He says, when you look at uh, Binder's work on Superman mythology, it's hard to think of another writer who had as big an impact on the Man of Steel. He created Supergirl, Crypto, Legion of Superheroes, Phantom Zone, Candor, Jimmy Signal Watch, and Elastic Land Identity, Beppo, Titano, Lucy Lane, Brainiac, and wrote many of their early Bizarro World tales. Wow. That's a hell of a run, idea. man. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. Jeez. That's pretty good. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, Nicholas Prime wrote in. He says he does the uh, comic reflections, including the Marvel Saga podcast. Great episode, guys. Apologies for being pedantic, but a couple of notes regarding name pronunciation of creators. I read an interview Steve Skates gave in either the Charlton Spotlight, Back Issue, or Alter Ego, I think, where he set the record straight on how his name is said. My memory's a bit fuzzy, but I recall him saying that it's pronounced Skates. Now, because Rob and I have made plans to record something for Steve's 75th birthday in January, I checked with someone who knows Steve, Mort Todd, and he confirmed that it's pronounced Skates. Bonus, Tony DeZuniga. My friend and fellow historian Jason Sachs, tomorrow's American Combo Chronicles, corrected my mispronunciation. Hey, it's a tough one, but he told me it's Dizuniga. Huh. Wow. Okay. Look at that. Education. I've been saying it wrong all this time. So thank you very much uh, for that, Nicholas. It's good to know. I, I have to really retrain my brain to say skates. I just want to say skeets. It's, it's not how you say it. I've been saying it's skeets been, for 40 years, but it's skates. Right, exactly. I've been saying it forever. Yeah. And, uh, Dizuniga, I'm going. I've been saying that wrong for a long time too. So we just won't, we just won't cover any of his work again. That we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Are you kidding so, with his artwork? Yeah, we yeah, will. Yeah, now we will. Yeah, uh, we got a message from Edo Boznar. He says, as for some of your questions for me in the letters of the editor section, I live in Croatia now, and Archie comics are not sold here, not even in translation. They just never caught on in this part of Europe, although here and there I've occasionally come across old battered-up Archie digests from the U.S. and a few comic shops that exist here and sometimes in used bookstores. American superhero comics, mainly Marvel, do get released here, and they are sold mainly in newspaper kiosks as well as comic shops. I never read those because they're translated, and while I have no problems with the language, I prefer reading them in their original English. Seeing Spider-Man or Wolverine with Croatian word bubbles is like coming across The Simpsons or some satellite cable channel dubbed into German. There's just something wrong about it. <laughs> now, this sparked an interesting conversation about international stuff in general. Uh, Centaurian cont- uh, contributed. He said, yeah, here in Denmark, in grocery stores, about the only thing you can find are Disney and mostly Donald Duck. Martin Gray said, "Neither Disney nor Archie are available here. Are big in the I'm sorry. Uh, they're n- neither one of them are big in the UK." He says, "I can count on the fingers on one hand the number of times I've seen an Archie Digest outside of a direct sales shop." And then Ed Bosnar also contributed. He said, "The Disney stuff's popular here as well. So we're talking about Croatia, but the most popular comics in these parts, and by uh, by that I mean not just Croatia, but all the former Yugoslav republics, are Italian comics like 
I'm going to say all these wrong guys. Zagor, Martin Mystery, and Alan Ford. Anyone who reads comics here loves these, and it cuts across all ages, from teenagers to people my age, meaning middle-aged and older. And naturally, French comics from Asterix to the uh, sci-fi western stuff by Mobius and Bill Owl, I'm not sure about that, are also quite popular. Interesting. It's so fascinating to find out how you know, comics are in, in other parts of the world, because you just assume it's all homogenous, but no, not at all. Yeah, I think the asterisk thing is interesting. There's like asterisk movies and stuff. Like asterisk is huge in other parts well, of the world and virtually unknown here. Him and Tintin. I mean, right, Tintin, right? They, yeah, yeah. It's comic crazy. book superstars that yeah. we didn't. What? Mm. It's sort of like a uh, Firestorm and Blue Devil. You know, over there, they probably barely know who they are. <laughs> probably yes. Hey, Firestorm is a TV star on two different shows right now. Thank you very much. It's true. He is. Oh, we should have mentioned Elongated Man now a TV star as well. He's on That's TV. right. That's crazy. Uh, we got a message from Siskoid, our fellow network uh, all star. He says, "Great show. It's true to say that Supergirl had many more lives after this, which, as Andrew counted, could be a bit of a problem." That's right. Uh, we heard from Sean M. Myers. He says, I love this issue of the best of DC. And he goes on to say, I, he liked when Digest would feature something other than Superman or Batman, although I love both of those characters. DC Special was great at this. In the 24-issue run, only four issues were devoted to one superhero, two issues for Green Lantern, and one each for Green Arrow and The Flash. And The Flash issues even had a team-ups. Awesome. And very good, Sean. I, you know what, Sean? I'm like you. I kind of like the diversity in my books, in my books as well. Then we heard from my buddy Chris Carnes from the Batgirl to Oracle podcast. He does the great Batman 66 reviews. He also uh, does a podcast with a partner called Bat Books for Beginners. So Chris writes in to say, fine show, guys, with a great guest star and a selection. I have three copies of this particular digest, and I gave one to Melissa Benoist at the C2E2 in 2016, telling her this book had some nice stories with different careers that Kara had had. She initially thought I wanted her to autograph it, but she smiled, asking again if I wanted to part with it, and graciously accepted it when I told her to take it. I should have realized, though, that the others who had come to see her also would give her gifts, too, and she slid the digest under the signing table into a large bag, already filled to the brim with lots of other varied items, including drawings of her and homemade crafts. Oh, well. Uh, I'll be able to, I, I was also able to get a nice picture with her holding my copy of Action Comics number 252, though in a less awkward moment. Uh, you know, Chris, I, I wouldn't feel bad about that at all. I've met lots of celebrities. We've given gifts, and you know what? They're always appreciated. They really are. I think they appreciate the fact that people bring them stuff, so I wouldn't feel awkward about it even for one second. Cool. Uh, Ted Kilvington from the Justice Trek podcast wrote in to say, another great episode by Rob, Dr. Ange, and adult film star Mag Shagwell. (laughs) What? (laughs) My most distinct memory of buying this issue from my neighborhood supermarket was running into my elderly seventh grade teacher at the store who asked me what I was doing. Uh, I'm a collector, I nervously replied, which was the first time I recall telling an adult I was a collector as opposed to a reader. The teacher then responded tersely, I meant what are you doing for the summer? My only disappointment with Best of DC number 17 was that they didn't reprint my team up with Supergirl as originally published in Cancer Comics Complicated number 3. Look forward to the next episode. (laughs) Well, he does have that sort of superhero villain name, you know, Ted Kilvington. So, yep. Uh, We heard from, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Billy. I'm going to try it. Billy Lacasse, maybe? What do you think? I I would say Lacasse. I'm gonna okay, Billy Lacoste? Lacoste. That's how you've been dubbed, sir. Anyway, love the episode. I don't know much about Supergirl's history, and I appreciated Dr. Ange's knowledge that he dropped on us. Also, a weird coincidence is I had listened to the episode last week, and this past weekend went to a friend's cabin up near Pinawa, Manitoba, Canada. As I was settling the kids in the room they were using, I noticed they had some Archie Digest on a shelf in the room, so I looked through the pile, and to find my amazement, the very Digest you talked about. Supergirl, suffice to say, I read it that night, and it was a fun read. 
What a coincidence. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, we got a message from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, who has a million shows, including ones devoted to Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman. Tony DiZuniga was my <laughs> least favorite of the Filipino invasion artists, but Bob Oxner is always swell, and the unique combination works very well. I think Supergirl handles the weird and the supernatural better than her cousin, as demonstrated in their story. That was a fun digest. It really was. I, you know, I, I we said lots of different things about the different issues, stories involved, but I really enjoyed that Supergirl digest in general. Yes, and uh, Bob Oxner, really underrated. Really yes. underrated. I mean, at least by me. I mean, other people really. I, but he's one of those guys that now that I've seen more and more of his work, I'm like, man, he was really good. Well, I always thought of him just as old guard. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's an artist mm-hmm. from the old days. No, he's got some nice looking nice, work. Good stuff. Good yep. stuff. All right. The, the rest of these comments are going to be on episode 4.5, which was on the new Avengers Digest from Marvel. And a quick story here. I, we, because of a series of interactions online, Laurel Mountainflower and, and Rob and I were going back and forth. We ended up sending her a copy of the Avengers Digest. And let me tell you, I got back the coolest handmade Firestorm thank you card ever. So that was awesome. So special thank you to Laurel for that. Super love that. Uh, Supervillain Ted Kilvington writes in and says, Good episode, fellas. While I had previously read the Lee Kirby stories, the rest of the book was new to me, so I had some interesting reading up, reading up to do. For reasons unrelated to the show, honest, I went back to the store where I purchased this issue, and they no longer had a space on the rack for the comic digests. So I missed the first issue, and I don't know where I'll be able to find the third one. Naturally, I went home and added number four to my mail-order list, as apparently the corporate might of Disney, Marvel, and Walmart are unable to provide me with constant access to this series. That's crazy because I I couldn't go anywhere without tripping over a copy of this Avengers Digest for a while. I saw it everywhere in my era area. Now Thor Digest still nowhere to be seen. The movie comes out this weekend. Uh, at least at the time of this recording, I can't believe. I certainly hope it appears on the shelves soon. They're, they're going to miss their whole window here. But um, wow, so sorry to hear that, Ted. Ugh. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Uh, Gene Hendricks wrote in, like I said, just hung out with Gene a couple of weeks ago, which was a ton of fun. He does the Hammer Strikes podcast and blog and more stuff on Two True Freaks. He says, I'm not really surprised that there are no Walt Simonson stories in this Thor Digest. You'd have to you pick only stories of his or not include any of them. There were very few standalone issues in his run, so they might confuse people more than anything. I, I agree with Gene, although I really think the first one, the, the first number 337, the one with Beta Ray Bill, might have worked. As it, ha- it has a real cliffhanger ending, but I don't know. I think that one is just so powerful. I think it might have been worth it to do. Or maybe one of, the, th- one. The, one of the Thunder Frog ones. <laughs> I was going to say, was the Frog one, was that a, a one-shot where he's a frog? No, that, 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 went on, that went on for a bit. Yeah, he really did do okay. a lot of continued stories, but it would just be so tempting because some of his stuff was just so good. Right. Uh, Brian Linton also writes in, he says, I am one of those who has yet to find a local source for the new Marvel Digest, so I especially appreciate these .5 episodes that you put together. Well, I've never followed the Avengers title on a regular basis, except for a brief stint after the Heroes Reborn storyline. Whoa. This team does a whole, <laughs> hold a special place in my heart. The barbershop where I used to get my haircut as a kid had one or two issues of Avengers in the magazine rack, which were the first actual comic books I ever recall reading. Unfortunately, I don't remember the issue numbers, but I do remember the Black Knight making an appearance. Uh. Now, I, I'm going to read his comments a little different. He said, after the Heroes Reborn storyline. So, after Heroes Reborn would mean Heroes Return, which was the really good stuff. So, I'm going to just pretend that that's what Brian means. Okay. All right. I, fair enough. I'm just saying, yeah. but, but the fact that he mentioned it makes me think that <laughs> you know, there was some crossover there. 
you know Michael Bailey's going to start writing. He's already started writing something in the comments about that, that you shouldn't be smirched. Heroes were born. There's redeeming qualities. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. All right. Uh, then we heard from our buddy Chris Franklin. He says, I can see the Fire and Water Civil War crossover with Shag's daughter versus my own. And that's because uh, on the last episode, I talked about how she was excited about the Iron Man movies and couldn't care less about the Captain America movies. Anyway, uh, Chris goes on to say, Danny is very much Team Cap, like her daddy, and kind of sort of hates Iron Man now. She loved the Lego Batman's password as Iron Man sucks. <laughs> Danny loves Cap so much, she asks to watch the Red Brown Cap movies. No fooling. Oh, my goodness. Oh, he's done terrible things to his daughter. This must be payback for his own parents, you know, what they did to him with re refusing to show him movies like Star Wars, I guess. Um, but I will say, uh, my daughter has now watched the Captain America movie. She enjoyed it quite a bit. So I think she's still Team Iron Man, but uh, she did enjoy the first Captain America movie. The next one on the docket actually is Winter Soldier. We've got to get to. Looking forward to that. Heard from our buddy Dishwater Danny. He says, guys, I got my Avengers Digest in Walmart, and I just figured you'd like to know. Thanks again. Sure thing, Dishwater. Glad to hear it, folks. Check your Walmarts. Heard from our buddy Tim Price. He says, sounds like I'll enjoy this one a lot. I haven't read the all-ages issues, but I own the Stern ones, love them, and read one to two on the Marvel Unlimited app just this year. Great stuff. Uh, this may be her heresy, but Cur uh, Kirby's Hulk was wigging me out in issue number two. On the first page, it looks like he has just three toes. What? To make matters worse on the later pages, he has four toes. What? What the what? I, I just – I can't – What? Oh, poor Tim. I think Kirby broke him. <laughs> it's a shame. He's a, he's a fine young man. Uh, Ado Boznar writes back in. He says, update. I am now the proud owner of this and the preceding Spider-Man Digest. A series, a series of fortuitous events worked in my favor. I told my sister and brother-in-law, who live in Oregon, to snatch Ooh. me up a copy if they happened to see one in a grocery store or whatever, and indeed found them both. The Spider-Man one was still on sale. Otherwise, my brother-in-law told me that he had he saw these in Barnes & Noble as well, as I think you mentioned in this or the previous episode. Then one of my cousins happened to be traveling to Croatia this month. You know, that's not a scent you hear a lot about. Uh, happened to be <laughs> traveling to Croatia. And we just met this morning, and she handed them over. I'm so stupidly happy about having these. It's so cool to see Marvel Digest, and yet again makes me wonder, why didn't Marvel do these back in the 70s and 80s? when DC was pumping them out like hotcakes. Yeah, I, I, I answered Edo a little bit. I didn't have an answer for that exactly, but I, I did notice or mention that it's interesting that Marvel and DC sort of traded uh, format, not traded formats, but they had their own formats. DC went big on the digests, while Marvel really never bothered to do much of them. And then the, just the opposite is true for the black and white magazine format. Marvel went all in on the magazines, the black and white m magazines, and DC really never did them for whatever reason. Uh, so they each kind of had their own format that they, everybody did the treasuries because those are the awesome things. But uh, for whatever reason, DC, you know, stuck with digest, not magazines and Marvel did just the opposite. I guess they just, each one of them made their own determination on profitability. You know, I, I have to wonder if it has something to do with who owned them because Marvel was owned by, uh, I think that the Cadence, which was that company uh, that was a, was like a massive publisher, and maybe they simply had the printing facilities to print magazines because they did other magazines. Uh. They, you know, they printed Playboy and they printed printed like some other men's magazines and stuff like that. So maybe they had the formats ready while. You know, whoever owned DC before Warner Brothers bought them, maybe they were more ready. You know, I don't know. I don't know how it was that those works. guys who uh, owned parking lots, wasn't it? 
Something like that. Yeah. That's so, what yeah, Jerry Conway told us. Yeah, it might it might have just been as as mundane as that. It's just like, oh, we have the the, the right kind of paper stock for this, and we didn't have others. But it, it's a shame because, of course, if DC had done a black and white magazine line, I mean, they could have done like Batman or Sergeant Rock. There could have been a lot of cool magazines and Marvel. Oh, I didn't think about that. Sergeant yeah. Rock would have been great. Oh man, it would have been amazing. And then Mar or House of Mystery, and then conversely, Marvel. If they had done seventies Digest, they could have done you know all the stuff they're doing now, like. Spider-Man, Cap, Avengers, that would have been really cool stuff. It does, you know, Marvel does feel, as weird as it is, we have a podcast dedicated to basically DC Digest for the most part, but Marvel does seem, like when I read these Marvel Digests, they seem to like make more sense to me. Like Marvel seems like that kind of format more to me, but mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. way. Speaking of which, that's going to do it for the feedback, but next episode will be another one of our .5 episodes, where uh, at least we think it is, depending if I can ever find a copy of this Thor Digest. Uh, we're planning to cover the Thor Digest for the next episode. And then, after that, one of our next full episode, episode number six of this show, it's my turn, folks. I get to pick. So I have picked a particular digest that's close to my heart. As I mentioned, you guys, I like the uh, variety show version of these digests, so check this out. In the digest we're going to cover, here are the writers involved. Alan freaking Moore is in this digest. In fact, he writes three different stories in the digest. Mike W. Barr, Mike Barron, Keith Giffen, Doug Mensch, Carrie Bates, and more. The artists include Kurt Swan, Gene Colan, Stephen Bissett, Marshall Rogers, Dave Gibbons, Kevin O'Neill, crazy, Carl Kessel, Bob Oxner, we just talked about him, Klaus Jansen, Jerome K. Moore, and more. The characters are going to involve Superman, Batman, the Green Lanterns, Adam Strange, Swamp Thing, Blue Devil, Katana, Ambush Bug, Atari Force, and oh, Omega Men. Well, okay, they can't all be winners. Either way, it is the Best of DC Blue Ridge Blue Ribbon Digest number 71, year's best comic stories of 1985. You all know you love 1985. We all love 1985. Crisis on Infinite Earths, who's who. It's a great year for comics, and we're going to cover the best stories from 1985. And Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home why the Best of DC Digest number 71 is kind of an important issue. It's the last one. It's the last... It is the we really should wait till we do the final episode of Digest Cast to cover this one. But it is the final DC Digest of the sort of original basic Digest formats. Yep. It was the end, and I'll tell my story. I've told it before. I'll tell my story again when we cover it. So uh, th- that's going to do it, folks. Again, I love the variety episodes, so we're going to have lots of fun different stuff to talk about that one. That's going to do it for this episode, though, folks. Thanks so much for coming out. Remember, as always, big things come in small packages. The Justice League of America, the combined might and power of the Man of Steel and the Cosmic Crusader, the Winged Avenger and the King of the Sea, the Tiny Titan and the Scarlet Streak, all working together for good against evil as the Justice League of America. America.